Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. To be committed to the one place and the one group of people for more than 40 years is no small achievement and surely reflects a burning passion for them and where they live. My next guest fits that bill entirely. Ellen Finlay set out in 1970 as a nurse to Nepal and four decades plus later through all the undoubted highs and lows that have no doubt built a great character. She's seen people's lives changed, transformed and the country is somewhat different today, 40 years on. Ellen is in Australia talking about this heartfelt work celebrating 60 years of the International Nepal Fellowship. And I'm so glad that she joins us now on Open House. Ellen, welcome. Thank you. It's a great privilege to meet you. When you look back today on how you viewed Nepal and the Nepalese all those years back, how do you now reflect back on those perceptions and the passions that you had then and the differences that you've seen since then? Well, for one thing, my passion hasn't changed. It's great. Nepalis still need us. I went there not really knowing where I was, what I was going to do, but I did know God had called me to Nepal and he had called me to the INF and I was prepared to go anywhere once I got there. My guess is you got this call in Scotland. You're absolutely right. There you go. I get something right sometimes. <laughs> How did you get that call from God? Well, it was in my spirit that the, the Lord was calling me to Nepal, but I really wasn't 100% sure. And one day, as I was coming from London to Glasgow, I was at a missionary training college in London, I was saying to the Lord, I really need to know what your will for my life is. And I was reading a book, and in the book there was a verse that said, As you go step by step, I will open up the way before you. And just there and then in the train, I said, Lord, I need to know the next step. I need to know if it is Nepal. And I picked up my letters that I'd got that morning and I started reading them. And the first letter was from someone, I don't know who it was, and the whole letter was full of Nepal and International Nepal Fellowship. I thought, wow, what a coincidence. Uh, the train emptied except one old lady in the corner and um, she said to me, what are, you doing? what are you doing in London? I said, oh, I'm at a missionary training college. Oh, she said, a missionary training college? I know Meg's own. She's with the International Nepal Fellowship. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. Wow. And that is God, step by step, all the way. That's such a clear call. Hmm. There was no doubt about it. It was quite clear. But the other thing that happened, once I'd, once I'd got going and I'd applied to the mission, I began to say, what am I joining this for? What have I got to offer? I've got nothing to offer. The people that are there are great people. I've got nothing. And my daily reading that day was, um, if God commands you so, you shall be able. I applied to the mission, and when I was ex accepted, the secretary at that time said, Ellen, I have a verse for you. And it was, if God commands you so, you shall be able. God always confirms what he wants us to do. Yes. So what were you able to bring to the Nepalese? Uh, very little, I must say, at the okay. beginning. They yeah. gave me a lot more than I gave them. Yes, that's interesting. But it was, um, well, I went out as a nurse and I went into the 
the general hospital. We had a mission hospital at that time, and I went in there. Then after a few months, the leader said, uh, now we want the, the junior sisters to move around. So one would go to the villages, one would stay in the hospital, and uh, one would go to Green Pastures, the leprosy hospital. I went to Green Pastures, one girl went to the village, the other girl went to stayed in the Shining Hospital, and none of us moved. We, wow. we didn't we didn't rotate. We stuck there, but there was God's plan because the girl that went to the village was definitely called to the village. The one that stayed in the general hospital, it was right for her, and it was right for me to be in the leprosy hospital. And God used the three of us in the different places across such a breadth of cultures, from England, Scotland, and then to a leprosy hospital mm-hmm. in Nepal. How much culture shock was there for you? I didn't have culture shock when I got to Nepal. I got it on the way up from Bombay. I came from Bombay. We, we were the last of the boat people, to let you know. Uh, we, <laughs> we went via Cape Town and uh, landed in Bombay. And I came from Bombay up to Lucknow in India. And when I got to uh, Lucknow, our wagons had been unhitched with our stuff in it, which meant I had to, we had to go through and find out and to go to the, the station master. And when I was on the um, station, I saw a man lying on the ground and he was covered in flies. He was thin, he was emaciated. I think maybe he had TB or dysentery. I, mean, I don't know, I didn't know in those days. And I said to the the friend that was with me, oh, we need to report this to the station master. This is terrible because we just come from the NHS, National Health Service yes. in Scotland. Good service. So we went to the station master and we said, listen, there's somebody lying out there and he's very ill. And he said, I'll remove the body when he dies. And that was my culture shock. Thereafter, when I got to Nepal, I took a deep breath because I thought, wonderful, I've arrived. What was going on in your mind when you heard those words from that station master? Disbelief. Absolute disbelief. I couldn't believe that somebody could be left on the platform of a station without care. But then when I got to Nepal, I realised it was possible. But by then, I had got my culture shock. How confronted were you with the plight of those in that leprosy hospital? I felt sad for them. I felt sorry for them because... At that time, patients were left there. They got the treatment, but they couldn't get back to their villages. Even though we said they are no longer infectious, no harm will come to anyone, they could not get back. And we used to go to the the head man in the town, well, in the whole region, and say, could you give us a, a, a certificate saying they're clear? And he would give them it. We would take them out to the villages, and the villagers would stone them. So we couldn't do anything. But we eventually made it. We got there, and now the patients get back to the village without any problem. That took a long time, though. Oh, it took a long time. Uh, Well, I was in leprosy for about 12 years, and it took those 12 years to, to push, push, push the whole way. But we made it in the end. What enabled you to cope with the unpleasantness and the distressing nature of their plight? I would say the love of Jesus. That's the only thing that can help you to cope with those things. Jesus' love flowing through. Maria used to give them a terrible telling off. But 
<laughs> but they, they said, you still love us. <laughs> I'm sure they saw that. Actually. They did. And that's the amazing thing. They did see it. And when God was at work there, they knew it. I mean, we didn't need to preach the gospel to them. We we played it out. We 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 just were with them. I always remember uh, there was a move of the spirit in the the hospital at one time, and uh, I went. A man said to me, "Could I have something?" A patient asked me, "Could I have something for my headache?" I said, "Of course you can." So I went into my office, and of course forgot the headache. And uh, about half an hour later, I went back and I saw the man. I said, "Oh, I'm ever so sorry." I forgot the aspirin for your headache. He said, don't bother. It doesn't matter because I haven't got it now. When you touch us, the pain goes. And that is God. And that's the love of of Jesus flowing through us. Um, I worked with a very good surgeon called Mike Smith. He's now an ENT surgeon. But at that time, he did tendon transplants for the the claw hands and the, the, the drop feet. Mike was leaving. Mike Smith was leaving. And this uh, patient said to me, get Mike, get Dr. Mike to do my operation, get Dr. Mike to do my operation. I said, I don't need to get Dr. Mike to do it. Another Dr. Mike will come. And he said, no, but that Dr. Mike's got the hand of God. Wow. And this is how we witnessed. So they knew where this compassion came absolutely. from. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. You know, another patient said to me, I praise your God in heaven that you come. Now, we didn't tell him that our God was in heaven. And the other thing too, you know, people would come to the Lord while we were there in the leprosy hospital. And uh, of course they wanted a Bible. And we didn't need to witness because one patient would be reading, as Nepalis do, they read out loud, Jesus said, this is, I am the way, the truth and the life. And they read it out loud. So everybody hears what's going on. There's there's no secret. There's nothing, no, nothing hidden. No. You could have been a person without compassion, though. Not in Nepal. If you went there without compassion, you wouldn't last a year. You wouldn't last six months. You needed to get back out. It would wear you down. And we saw health people coming in, not to INF, not to International Nepal Fellowship. We saw people coming in to do good works. Good works is not enough. It's got to be Jesus. What would wear you out? Seeing the need and not knowing how to cope with it. Not knowing that the Spirit of God moving in you out to these people. You couldn't do it on your own. It's, it's not a physical thing. It's not a mental thing. It, it's only Jesus. And with, without, I mean, we saw it time and time again. People would come, but without Jesus, it doesn't work. So after 12 years in the leprosy hospital, where then in Nepal? Well, I was asked to go and open the government uh, accident and emergency and outpatients department. I went there. And I loved it. And did I know God working there? Wow. I could write a book. But anyway, I won't. You should. (laughs) It was absolutely wonderful there. Uh, One doctor said to me, Ellen, this patient is not for me. This is your patient. And he was a psychiatric, thought to be a psychiatric patient, but he wasn't. He was um, demon-possessed. And the the doctor knew that demon possession was beyond psychiatric care. It had to be Jesus. One day I was standing and I felt God speaking to my spirit and he said, what about the people in the remote areas? And uh, I thought, well, what about the people in the remote areas? Well, my colleague Mike and myself, the ENT surgeon, the two of us decided to go and um, have a camp, an ear camp, 
two hours on the vehicle and four hours walk. And uh, we went there and we were inundated with patients, absolutely inundated. And why would they not come? Why would they not come to uh, the, the main hospital? Well, we haven't got any money. We need to sell a buffalo or sell our land to pay the costs. We can't afford that. So they would rather be sick up in the hills. And we decided there and then, from now on, get out. And that's what we did. Uh, we got out and God has supplied everything we have needed. We we don't have a big donor, but personnel, finance, equipment, whatever we have needed, God has supplied. You know, he might prompt me, buy this. Usually in my quiet time, I get prompted, buy this. And uh, I'll say, well, buy that. I've got that money, but we will buy it and God will supply the money. There must have been setbacks and frustrations, though. Tell me about it. <laughs> it's just not that rosy, is it? That's right. Well, there, there are setbacks. But the wonderful thing, the biggest setbacks come from people. Uh, but <laughs> when you know it's God, God-given, when your vision is God-given, uh, the setbacks will go, and whatever you need will come in. Uh, the setbacks come... We couldn't move because of the terrorists at that time. We couldn't move because of the terrorists. That was a setback for us. But God made a way. You know, it, we would usually go by road and then hop up in a plane, a short hop. But when the roads were all blocked in Nepal, as they were often, uh, we could only do a big jump from where we were in Pokhara right up to the... But we didn't have money for that. That was quite extravagant. We didn't have the money. But because we had said we would go to that area, we would go to it. And uh, we would commit ourselves. If we said to people we will come, we would go, no matter what it cost us. And uh, we phoned the travel agent. We said, how much would it cost to get a plane up there? And he said, um, $1,500. $1,500? We don't have that type of money. That's yeah. We don't have it. Uh, but we've committed ourselves, we'll go 1500 we might be able to scramble it together. He phoned me back 10 minutes later, he said, oh, I'm sorry, you need ten, uh, two planes, it's $3,000. Now, that was a big hole for us. Yes. But, you know, God is faithful. When we hear him and obey him, he supplies all we need. I'm walking along the road with the ENT surgeon, and she said to me, Ellen, do you know, the National Health Service in the UK will give £2,000 if you can put a good project forward. I said, oh, really? Well, let's go for it. So we got the £2,000. Wow. Plus, plus all the money we needed come in. Hearing God, obeying him, and he does the rest. It must have had its dangers, though, from that kind of flying to the terrorists to the disease that you've seen so up close and personal. A dangers, well, we've always seen the Lord getting us out of dangers, without fail. Uh, we were in an area, and uh, we were just about to leave when the word came, the terrorists have blocked the road, they've closed the road. So everybody said, you have to go by helicopter. I said, mm, that's not what God's saying into my spirit. Uh, he's saying go, and go by road, even though the road was blocked. Um, 
then the, the doctor that was in the hospital said, hey, Sister, you must get a helicopter. I said, no, I'm going by road. So we went by road. We, uh, everybody got in the car, in the vehicles. We've got several vehicles. And we set off down the road. And it's a rough road. You know, it's not a fancy road like you get here. And a landslide, an enormous big landslide. And I thought, oh, no. And, of course, in comes the enemy and says, helicopter. Yes, of course. And I said, no, no, not helicopter. We've gone by road. Well, we had our shovels and our ropes and everything to get us through that um, uh, landslide, but we couldn't make it. There was too much. So two of us just went away and prayed at the side of the road and said, Lord, would you get us through this landslide? And just at that point, a big Red Cross vehicle came around and uh, they had everything they needed. It was a much bigger vehicle than we had. And they got us out, no trouble. They pulled us out. We got to the main road and uh, people were still saying, you can't go. I said, we're going. And we made it all the way, the whole road to ourselves. It's great timing. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. And the only people we met uh, was the um, Nepal Army. And all they said is, any trouble up the road? No trouble whatsoever. That was the only people we met. God took care of us. Dangerous, yes, but the terrorists didn't bother us at all. You know, uh, one day one of them said to me, well, I didn't know he was a terrorist at that time. Um, I said to him, you know, you've got a hole in your ear and you need an operation. He said, could you do my comrades as well? And I said, we're comrades? I said, are you a terrorist? And he said, yes. I said, goodness me, what am I thinking about talking to you? And he, he said, you don't need to bother. He said, we all know about your work. He said, and we will never bother you. He said, you can go anywhere you like in Nepal. And that's true. Anywhere. And we've gone. We've met the terrorists. We've talked to the terrorists. They don't bother us. We do the job and get out. You had no... Hesitation treating a terrorist? Not at all. Why not? They need medicine like everybody else, just the same. And they need love just the same as everybody else. Is there one particular standout person or story or community that you could point to and say, yes, this is why I've been at this work over these 40 decades, Ella? Yes. When I see Jesus working in somebody's life, that makes it all worthwhile. We were up in a very remote area, a place called Humla, which is almost on the Tibetan border. And I was doing the ward round with the consultants and uh, six people carried a woman in and dumped her on the bed and said, see what you can do for her. And I looked at her and as a nurse, I thought, we can do nothing for her. And uh, But the... Gynecologist looked at the woman and, of course, nothing could be done. But we did give her a strong analgesics, pethidine, every four hours she had it. And she screamed the whole time. Her face was all wrinkled and she was in agony. You could see she was in agony when you see her, saw her face. Four hourly pethidine and she continued to scream. Not any better. The next day, I went in with the consultants again and I thought, well, I might as well tell this woman to go home. There's nothing we can do about her. And the boy said, what about me? And I said, I said to the woman, do you, do you know Jesus? And she said, um, no, I don't know Jesus. These people don't know Jesus. So I've never heard of him in the hills. 
And I said, well, you know, Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. Uh, Jesus wants to help you. Jesus wants to be in your life. He wants to comfort you. He wants you. He wants to take you through this illness. And when you've got Jesus in your heart, it makes a difference. That was all I said. Plain and simple. I prayed just the same prayer as I had spoken to her. And when I finished, she turned round to her husband and her son who was standing there. And she said, you listen to what she says. The consultants said, I can't believe what's happened. I've never seen this before. And when I looked at the woman, the woman's whole appearance had changed. The pain, the agony, the the tightness in the face had all gone. And here was a woman lying relaxed, relaxed in Jesus. Uh, All that day, she didn't need any care. She didn't need any painkillers. She just slept, got up, she ate. She wasn't unconscious. She was still conscious. The next morning, I decided I would go in and tell her, you can go home now. Uh, There's, you know, we can't do anything for you. I went in the next day. And the bed was empty. I said to the, the other patients in the bed, where is she? And they said, um, she went home. She went home with her husband and her son. When I see that happening, that makes all the roughness of travelling, the roughness of sleeping, the roughness of being in the hills worthwhile when we see somebody coming to Jesus. There's such power in that work. Oh, power in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Ellen Finlay, it's my absolute pleasure to meet you and to speak with you on Open House. And I'm sure everyone who's heard you tonight thinks exactly the same. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.